Hey, Bankless Premium listeners, welcome to The Debrief, where David and I give a recap. This is an after-the-podcast recording of our thoughts on what we just recorded. This is our debrief from the episode with Rune Christensen. David, I, I want to start with this, this kind of interesting question. Part of the reason I wanted to dig in, and we both wanted to dig in so much on Rune's almost like, we'll call it shorthand, ETH maximalism. It's not really, but like, let's call it that shorthand. I think it's, right? it's just maximalism. Maximalism. Chain, yeah. one, one L1 maximalism, right. one L, yeah, L1 power law maximalism. Un- unflavored so maximalism. Yeah, it's, it's because he hasn't previously been like that at all. Right, yeah. Okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The Rune Christensen I remember from 2016, 2017, 20, like uh, all along was like multi-chain, right? We're not, like we're using Ethereum for Maker for the time being because it's easiest and the best and it's got the most tooling and infrastructure. Could that change in the future? Absolutely. And when it does, Maker will move to that chain. Why? Because I'm a Maker maximalist. I'm not an ETH maximalist. I even got into the conversation of a lot of people uh, when they switched from single collateral DAI that was all based on ETH to multi-collateral DAI. You got some pushback from the community saying, hey, this is actually... You inject USDC, this kind of centralizes DAI a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he was just a bit of like, buzz off, ETH maximalists. Right. You know, like, we're doing this. This has always been the vision from the start. Like, right. don't inject your ETH maximalism into Maker's design. There's going to be lots of different collateral sources. Some of those will be crypto native. Some of those will not. You know, I heard is a different rune, this right. conversation. Yep. Almost sounded like, like he wasn't using quite bankless terms. But he practically said, ETH is trustless economic bandwidth. He practically <laughs> said that, David. <laughs> that's what he you definitely heard. said that. Yeah, that's what I heard. He definitely said that ETH is the best collateral on Ethereum. He absolutely said that uh, Ethereum was going to be a power law winner. Why? Because of security and decentralization. I mean, these are all bankless themes that we've been talking about for a while. But I, I don't know that you know, Rune absorbs all of the bankless content. Like, how could he? How could any human being absorb like <laughs> a lot of the content that we're pointing out? Like we, we, spent a, we put out a lot of content, David, right. but he, he came to a similar conclusion, right. I think just game theoretically walking through what Maker's next step is with the advent of these other um, L1 ETH killers that have been popping up. So that's why it was so interesting to me in particular, not just what he had to say, but also the source that it came from. Right. Never been an ETH maximalist. Like, in fact, Bitcoin maximalist, I would say, previously, and multi-chain optimist. Now he's kind of like all in. It only makes sense for one chain to win. And I'm hopeful that chain is Ethereum is sort of what he said. Yeah, and we've seen that pattern with other DeFi founders as well. Uh, Robert Leshner, I'm, I think, is now in like the whole ETH is money. Oh, is he? I think so. I think so. Definitely used to be a Bitcoin maxi, but now uh, really like talks about the proponents of ETH. I think Kane as well uh, was once upon a time a big, big Bitcoiner uh, and over time turned more and more into an quote unquote ETH maxi. It's really and, interesting and to Kane- see. Kane was definitely a multi-chain optimist, right? Like he yep. originally tried to deploy synthetics on EOS, mm-hmm. if you recall. Yep, totally. Yeah. So it's in the, I think the thing that stands out to me about this um, line of reasoning the most is that there is an inherent, inarguable, concrete alignment with where a DeFi app deploys and its relationship with 
it's layer one, right? It's the, uh, so there is some inextricable relationship. And this is why we've always been preaching values, 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 values is because where you choose to deploy your app, it's a value statement. It's a values judgment. And what Rune is saying is that like, as soon as Maker, like as soon as Maker deployed to Ethereum, it had some inextricable relationship, right? You are now tied to Ethereum success because success of the base layer implies an impact success of the application layer. And so with uh, MakerDAO being an Ethereum application, it really, really needs Ethereum to exist. And not only does it need it to exist, it needs it to thrive because the, one of the worst things that could happen for MakerDAO is that it has to port itself, it has to take its core, which is the MKR token, and then get it elsewhere, along with all the it other can. infrastructure. Rune and it, said it, it practically just, can't. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it probably it would be really, 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 really hard. And it's just easier to have long-term commitments towards one single L1. Uh, and I've... And the Ethereum community and Ethereum culture has always been against maximalism. We've always been very, very accepting, um, except there's been a growing cohort of people that have been like, well, I'm not a maximalist, but do we really need any of the other chains? And it's more of a technical rationale than it is like a yeah. bags rationale. It, it's kind of a, like a, you have in order to have a view on the space, you, you have to, and what to invest in, you have to have a thesis on how this is all going to play out. Right. Mm -hmm. And you might not be like a toxic mass maximalist from like a, you know, tribalist perspective, but in order to say, do I want to keep my money in Bitcoin or ether? Do I want to diversify all my ETH into all of these other L1s, you have to have a view on the future, right? That's not called maximalism. It's called freaking investing. Right. Like what the hell's going to happen in the future? I hope you have a thesis on that. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you're just chasing trends. And that's something we don't want to do on Bankless is chase trends. Um, but something you said is really interesting. It's like a DeFi protocol ha has to pick what chain it calls home. And it's so interesting because if you think about like nation states, you're just born into a nation state. You don't get to choose whether you are American or Chinese, like a Chinese citizen, or whether you're from the EU or anything else, right? You're just born as a citizen of that country. DeFi protocols get to choose. And so when you're making that choice, the question is, do you want to um, choose a home in a constitutional republic with decentralization of power, right? And some protection for the individual, or do you want to pick uh, an autocracy, an authoritarian regime? Maybe they're performing well, like their GDP is doing well. Benevolent but dictator. Like, yeah, benevolent dictator. Mm -hmm. But like, is that the place you want to build right. your home and call home? Right. And you get to choose as a DeFi protocol. And that's why values become so important because there are some short-term decisions where you could be like, hey, like this benevolent dictator nation state chain is throwing off crazy GDP growth, right? Like their economy's booming. I want to be there. I want to make that my home. But is that true in the long run? Is that true over five years or 10 years? What happens when that benevolent dictator becomes a rent extractor mm -hmm. and sets himself up as the most powerful and starts to like erode the economy, take all your money. And then you're like in a banana republic despot type state where like, right? So like, these are the types of values that um, that we're talking about here, and you know maybe some will find that analogy a stretch, but I actually think it's there's a corollary. You can pick a more decentralized chain that optimizes for security and decentralization, mm -hmm. or you can 
pick a centralized chain that does it. And when I say decentralization, David, decentralization is just anti-corruption technology. Yep. Uh, that's what it is. It yep. just preserves the fundamentals. Decentralization is people checking other people. And exactly how many, how many people are checking other people is a really important number. And it also, so when, when you pick a chain that's like, well, there's 10 people and they're checking on other people, it's a very different values judgment than a picking a chain that has 10,000 people checking on other people. And also entering into that pool of 10,000 people is also accessible to you, unlike entering the pool of 10 people. Uh, these are all values judgments. Uh, and it's, it's one of, uh, and this is, this is why the concept of credible neutrality is so important. It's like, well, if... Do I choose the chain where there's 10 people or 100 people and I cannot enter that pool of people? Or do I choose the chain where there's 10,000 people and I can freely enter into that set of people or exit from that set of people as I so choose? Which one gives you the most choice? Which one gives you the most optionality? Uh, and I mean, the, the, there's a critique saying, well, the 10,000 set of people is not scalable and that's why gas fees on Ethereum are really, really expensive. But that's why Rune said in his post, this whole thing breaks, this whole conversation breaks when you, you introduce layer twos. And the whole awesome thing about layer twos is that you can just have one dictator, but that dictator is still checked by the 10,000 people, right? <laughs> and so you have the performance of, a, of, of you know, something like a centralized exchange, but you have the 10,000 people checking on that centralized exchange. That's, that's the other thing. I'm glad you mentioned layer two because I've been uh, devouring. There's, there's this uh, pseudonymous writer go, goes by the Twitter handle Polynaya, and I've been devouring Polynaya's content, their content uh, from a series of medium posts. And I would describe Polynaya as a roll-up maximalist. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, David, people say they're, they're going to alternate layer ones because Ethereum can't scale and won't scale. Bullshit. Right. Like, that is complete bullshit. It's wrong, dude. Like, it's not scaling today. Right. Like, you're just looking in the give wrong spot. Six months, give it a year. Mm -hmm. Ethereum has the most sustainable scalability strategy of any layer one. And Polynaya's posts go through exactly why. But it's this idea where Ethereum is breaking uh, up the execution layer. Mm -hmm. from the data availability and consensus layer. It's mm -hmm. too much to get into in all of those details. I think we should have a podcast about it. Yep. But it's basically consensus, data availability. That's going to be what we call ETH2. It's no longer ETH2. It's just like post-merge what Ethereum is going to look like. And all of the execution layer stuff is going to happen on layer twos, essentially. So Polynaya's framing is that Ethereum... It's no longer a smart contract platform. It's a platform for smart contract platforms, okay? Mm -hmm. The execution layer, the smart contract platforms themselves are actually going to be these rollups. And if you think Arbitrum and Optimism are kind of like the end-all be-all, you haven't seen anything yet because ZK rollups are actually going to be a, like a monumental, a leap forward, a gigantic leap forward in this technology. And they will be able to do everything that monolithic chains do. Monolithic chains, Solana, Avalanche, these kind of side chains that you see popping up, except they'll be able to do it better and more securely because they won't have that multi-sig bridge, David. Mm -hmm. 
they'll have a trustless bridge between them and Ethereum, right? And when you add data availability that's coming in like to Ethereum in like, you know, 2023, maybe that's going to supercharge like 10x the capacity of all of these rollups without sacrificing security and decentralization. Like Polynaya goes as far as to say monolithic chains, right? That try to do everything in this one smart contract layer, layer one, they're dead. They're going to be outcompeted. They're actually only competing against Ethereum rollups. And uh, man, I, 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 that's alpha for you guys right there. Like go read Polynaya's post. It's, it's free alpha. That I think is the best thesis for how things are going to shape up. And um, I think Rune sees that too. Yeah. One thing I do appreciate Polly and I is his, uh, their clarity with the, how they see this, this dynamic, this impact. And I think something that was really um, awesome for, for me when I, when I was reading some of, his, some of his posts is that one of the reasons why Solana or Avalanche are sustainable in the way that they are uh, is because of rampant token inflation, Right and block so subsidy block subsidies right and so it, on uh, the, the it, when he put it he or she or they um, put it in those terms where uh, Solana is issuing a, a massive net loss in order to sustain massive amounts of scale there is a relationship between the issuance of the Sol token and the scale of the system the because Solana is extremely extremely scalable at the layer one level. Soul token inflates an insane amount. And so where Ethereum has really, really high gas fees, it's not scalable at the layer one, but it has massive amounts of economic surpluses, which goes back to the token holders, which makes the whole thing economically scalable. So th this, is, this is what happens every single bull run is that some L1 spins up, it gets fueled by rampant speculation, on the, on, the, on the token price. And that's why the market can absorb so much inflation of the token. And that's how it gets scale is because like, well, it captures a lot of the overflows, historically the overflows out of Ethereum that generates a lot of speculation in the token. Uh, and that is what actually generates adoption and excitement in the short term. But meanwhile, the amount of new issuance and new inflation of the actual L1 asset is so incredibly high that the, and also their ability to capture fees is so incredibly low that you can logically con come to the conclusion that this thing is going to fizzle out by the nature of just hyperinflation of the token. Yeah, it's like it's like as as far as block subsidy, I forget the exact numbers, but like on Solana, it's something like um, paying four billion dollars mm -hmm. in issuance right per year mm -hmm. um, to get like say a million dollars return in, mm -hmm. in transaction Jeez. fees, right? Mm -hmm. Right, like how can you sustain that? over the long run. Right. That's, very, that's not ultrasound difficult. money. That's not what well, ultrasound so, money looks like. And like what, what Polynaya goes on to, to, to talk about as well is that um, basically he sees a future where Solana uh, totally exists, but is part of the Ethereum ecosystem. It becomes essentially a roll-up. Right. It says, well, like our focus is actually execution layer anyway, and we're really good at that. And we're not as good at the consensus security data data availability layer, economic so we'll sustainability layer. Yeah, we'll just become a roll up, right? And there's value in that, and there's value in the soul token doing something like that. But it's not like necessarily monetary premium level value, right? It's like the market's treating these things as if 
they're all about to kill ETH and become the same as ETH. <laughs> and look, man, I don't think that's true. Could be wrong. Like the thesis could be wrong. But I think if you're going to approach this market rationally, you have to have a thesis for how this is going to play out. Unless you're just trading narratives. Hey, if you're trading narratives, man, like that's great. I mean, there was DeFi summer, there's NFTs, there's, you know, alt layer one summer, there's going to be some other summer for you. You could trade into those narratives and trade out. What we're talking about is like where you choose to hold your value long run. And uh, I personally, David, I think a bunch of retail is going to get absolutely dumped on by uh, layer alt layer one insiders mm -hmm. when they start to realize these things. A, rollups are just as good, right? And better and going to eat their lunch. You know, B, there's no real mo sustainable monetary premium in, in uh, these alt layer uh, one assets. And three, this is something Rune even said is like, if Solana was going to pass Ethereum, like better do so now, right? right. Because now's the only right. window of opportunity if you're actually going to do that. Mm -hmm. That's my take. Yeah. Um, the cynics take on the whole retail getting dumped on by the insider VCs is that like, well, that's actually, yeah, that's the business model. Like that's, that's <laughs> how this works. I think it is the business model. It happened in 2017, happened with EOS. Same um, players too. Same players. Same people yeah, doing we, it. We've seen it all before, right? And it's a, it's a very good business model. Like to but, but profit sir, if off you of call the confusion. That out, yeah. If you call that out, you're a maximalist. Yeah, I'm sure I and, am. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's back to what you said. I think you made a really good point, right? When you're new in the space and you are a minority chain, you want to be everyone's friend. Right. Okay. But like then when you transition into like the, the lead position, the top dog. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, you're just backstabbing and you yeah. know, mm -hmm. you see that trajectory and, and transition with uh, all sorts of projects in this space. Totally. Um, yep. Game, the game theory changes I, when you're in the lead. Yeah, it totally does. I don't know if, um, by the way, I, I've tweeted this out before, but like, um, crypto is not a fixed pie zero sum game right? In particular, this L1 war, not exclusively, right? But it also is at the same time. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like yeah. we can grow the pie, but also grow our share of the pie. Right. I yeah. think that's, I at think the same that time. Yeah. Pe people think it's one or the other, but sometimes you have to hold like multiple concepts in, in your head at the same time. And like, so, um, Things that happen on Solana or Avalanche or some other alt layer uh, one are actually really good for the ecosystem and mm -hmm. good for um, DeFi and Ethereum. I, I firmly believe that. Like uh, Phantom Wallet, great innovation coming out of the, the Solana ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. And that's going to make its way to Ethereum and to other you know, DeFi platforms as well. Um, I think all of these things are also pushing uh, Ethereum forward to move faster, specifically maybe pushing rollups, right? Mm -hmm. It's also bringing maybe more capital in the space. And look, you know, you're giving exposure. So many of these chains too are like EVM chains, right? So you're giving people exposure to the DeFi tooling, which is MetaMask and all of these other things at very little gas prices, at least in the short run. So I think it's net positive and it's growing the pie, but also these layer ones are in a death match at some level. Right. Yeah. Um, when we, we want as many people to come into crypto as possible. Right. And when I came into crypto, I had 
ETH, e- I was particularly drawn to Ether, but I had EOS. I had this token called ARC, which apparently is still a thing. Oh, dude, uh, I remember ARC. ARC, like ARC a, was cool, man. ARC was fun. DPOS chain, right? Yeah, DPOS, like a, yeah. Right. Interoperability and, thing? Yeah, and there was actually like all these delegates like actually in the forums pitching to other people why they should be a delegate. And they would say like, well, with, you, with your stake, the, 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 I'm going to give back 95% of the stake and then I'll give the 5% I'm going to take for myself to build out this project, build out this YouTube channel that promotes ARC, right? It made, made a lot of sense. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Didn't go anywhere. Um, and, but the point is, is that like when you come into a crypto, it's so fun. Like there's all these things going on. You want to explore it all. Uh, and so Ethereum can't do all the things, not so fast. And so it's, it's, um, it's a really nice feature of the crypto world that there's so many act- uh, non-Ethereum L1s to come in and play with when you get in there. It's like, oh, it's a fantastic playground. But all roads lead to Ether at the end of the day. All roads collapse down to Ethereum because, like Rune said, like what we apply, implied, all roads lead to the strongest, most legitimate stamp of approval where your that's and that stamp is literally just like your block embedded into the blockchain or your transaction embedded into the blockchain. Are your assets actually yours? All things in crypto collapse down to the strongest settlement assurances. And the strongest settlement assurances collapses down to the, secu- the chain with the most security. And the chain with the most security is not the most scalable chain at the L1 layer. It's the most decentralized and secure chain. Uh, and so like Solana trying to do everything all at once compromises on its settlement assurances. Uh, and so it's just a playground, not actually anything that you can rely on. Unless we're wrong, David. Did you see this tweet? We so have this never is the been tweet wrong. I was- <laughs> This is the tweet I was referencing. Actually, you know, I didn't name anyone in the in the, in the show, but you know, for premium subscribers, right? You get all the details. Um, so it was this tweet: decentralization from from Tasha, who I I love a lot of Tasha's tweet uh, takes. Decentralization is not the core value prop of uh, either DeFi or NFT. What makes blockchain unstoppable is new business models made possible by open source plus monetary incentive plus community. People harping on about X is not decentralized enough are blinded by ideology. Yeah, no. This this is the alt take. Let's say you. She's conflating the app layer and the L1. So decentralization is not the core value prop of the app layer. That's like new business models, monetary incentive community. That's all the app layer. But the reason why the app layer works is because decentralization is the core value prop that supports the app layer. So I do agree with her. She's just talking about the wrong thing. That's, that's what I said. Yeah. I tweeted back. I think you're wrong on this. Decentralization is anti-corruption technology and is the foundation for any free and open digital property rights system. Without decentralization at the base layer, yes. all the rest is facade. Uh, I knew there was a reason why we started a podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe that's true. But like when you see um, short-term narrative trends, right? Like massive uh, gains of alt layer ones on ether or some other, you know, d- decentralized uh, crypto protocol, mm-hmm. you start to doubt, don't you? Mm-hmm. Like, is that thesis really correct? Is that really true? Uh this is why it was so refreshing for for me with Rune is like that guy takes the ultra long-term perspective, doesn't he? Right. And so does Maker. Yeah. Um, 
I think the ultra long-term perspective, this holds true, but like, we're not going to know for sure until three, four or five years time, you know, whether, whether all the stuff we're saying in this podcast right now holds true. And then a million other things will happen in between, you know? So you, you ha- I don't know. This is why I see so many investors in this space just like bounce around from narrative to narrative. Right. right. And they don't stick to like a mental model and a framework right. for understanding these systems. Right. And maybe it's just not my nature, but I, I can't do that. Right. I have to, like, I have to know why I'm holding the thing I'm holding. And there has to be a, like, a valid reason. It can't be like this token's pumping and it has DeFi on it. Right. Therefore, it's a good investment. Like, I have to feel like I understand it at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. As somebody who definitely has gotten like crypto fatigue in the sense that like, oh, it's like, it's the uh, cool cat NFTs are pumping today. Like, how, how do you fucking know that? Like, oh, I'm not following like all the Twitter spaces. Like, or it's like, what's the new DeFi app that's going to moon? Like, oh, it's going to be this one. Like, oh gosh, like keeping up to date with that exhausting. is so exhausting. And that's why like having a thesis, uh, a thesis for investment is such a comfy place to sit. Because like when your thesis is that the most decentralized, the most uh, settlement assured system is going to be the place that everything settles upon, well, then you just have to find what that system is, buy and hold the L1 asset, and then just be comfy and watch the chaos of like the app layer just churn and churn and churn and churn while the L1 just settles everything, right? Like it's so much more comfy that way. It's comfy. It's comfy in the bed index, isn't it? Yeah, that it is comfy. The the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what do you think of the whole uh, conversation we had a, around um, clean die clean, clean money? Yeah, right. clean money, clean money. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think that this is in, in the same way that NFTs are really really scalable from in the social layer. Like NFTs get embedded into people's brains way more than DeFi ever did. And I remember in 2018, 19, 20, when DeFi was coming around, we all, we were all super excited about DeFi. Like this is the next best thing is going to, it's next best thing since sliced bread It's going to, this is what's going to take over like the world. In the back of my mind, I was like, how many people really give a fuck about finance though? Like in at large finance as a concept and a lot don't, a lot don't. Right. And so like, doesn't matter how awesome DeFi is like some, a lot of people just aren't going to care. And NFTs, I think, proved that it was going to take something else not that's not DeFi to really mainstream Ethereum. NFTs are like Ethereum's marketing arm, marketing wing. But as climate change becomes more and more, I mean, it's all—it's already supposed to be a big deal in everyone's heads. It's kind of what it, what ruins messages. But the thing and is, like, governments are doing nothing. Governments are doing nothing, and people have like found themselves in a state of learned helplessness uh, because, like, okay. What, what do I do to combat climate change today? Like, well, I want to live my life, so I don't want to be too uncomfortable. So I'll pick the restaurant with like the paper straws, right? Like this, this and restaurant has total, class. Like, it doesn't do anything, it's a, right? It's a virtue signal. It's a total sure. virtue signal where you feel inside like you're doing something, but like, are you actually doing right. something? And I think this offers an opportunity for people to actually do something that they can make an actionable choice in their daily lives that actually has downstream effects that affect climate change and rune we, we and one of the core tenants of crypto of bitcoiners will say like if you fix the money you fix everything right like if you put good values into the money then like the good values will be uh, extrapolated through the rest of the world and i think rune is taking that same strategy where like if we fix finance we can stop financing 
like uh, carbon outputs. We can just stop financing those things. And if we can point all the financing energies towards good things, then we can finance carbon sequestering. And like the, the best thing about it is that all you have to do, like people don't like to be troubled. People don't like to be bothered. But all you have to do is when you choose to hold money, you hold it in die or you do die related things. When you have a savings account, you do it with the, the die savings rate or you buy holding die in compound. And it's such a basic thing where like, all right, maker governance will take the legwork, right? It's now a purpose driven DAO. They'll do all the hard things about taking the collateral inside a maker and making sure that it's green. All you got to do is transact in die because die is clean money. And I think a lot of people will take that opportunity of like just lazy contributions towards combating climate change and run with it because it's so such a low hanging fruit or at least the idea is that we can make using die lower and lower lower uh, uh, obstacle to get over and by branding it as clean money and convincing people that like this this credit facility is actually dictating the future of the world we can get more and more people on board just by aligning with the values of combating climate change it's such a great narrative for DeFi and, mm -hmm. and it's so cool. Like, and it punches a hole right through this learned helplessness narrative that you were just talking about, right? It's like, how many people have you talked to that want to do something about climate change, but they're like, nothing we can do. The corporates and elites, you know, they run the world. Money makes the world go round. Well, this is the new financial system, right? Like we control money, right? right? At least in a very small way. Mm -hmm. Um, projects even like, like Klimadao mm -hmm. are super, super eye-opening, uh, you know, in that, in that you can actually create a profit incentive for like the purchase of carbon, uh, credits, which is absolutely mind blowing, absolutely bizarre. And for these projects to pop up, I think there could very well be like a narrative in the future, which is sort of a green crypto narrative, a green DeFi mm -hmm. narrative. It's like highlight of all the projects that are going out there and doing something uh, good for the clean energy movement and uh, you know to, to reduce carbon. So nothing would satisfy me more, by the way, in, like in flipping that narrative on its head, because I feel like so often crypto just gets painted with the, the Bitcoin brush. Right. It's like drug money and terrorists. And think like, it's like 27, 20, 2013 or 2014 or libertarian something. Libertarian gold like, bugs who don't want anything yeah, to do with society. Like, yeah, maybe they're loud, but um, they're not going to dominate the narrative for crypto right. for very much longer. And I think projects like this could get some mainstream attention and get people excited about actually pushing back. Like your government's not doing anything. Well, go, go get some dye, go mm -hmm. like invest in Klimadao, right? Go buy some tokenized carbon credits. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of avenues that could pop out of this. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. The uh, Monday opening note um, this week, uh, which will be a week ago from listeners who are listening to this on Monday, I wrote about uh, that one uh, party in New York that had like this blogger coming like commentate on it, right? Uh, and the 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 thing that I wrote is that like, hey, crypto and DeFi and the app layer and all these tokens with like tinkering with monetary policy for on the app layer, we've actually found a way to make like wealth generation sustainable. Like that's one of the core things that DeFi has figured out is sustainable wealth generation. Find yourself in a DAO, you contribute value, they distribute equity, the DAO token, uh, the growth of the DAO happens, everyone's assets go up in price. At least that's the theory. We found a way to like make the great Gatsby, like the whole like party scene of the roaring twenties, 
that the roaring twenties, but sustainable this time. And that's by the nature of like how these assets work in DeFi. And I think we can extrapolate that that narrative and saying like, hey, we've made wealth generation sustainable. All the people in the world who feel frustrated and cut out from the wealth that like Jeff Bezos has and Elon Musk and all the billionaires out there are like, hey, we fixed that. Like we, we have more community owned platforms, community generated wealth, and it's not at the whims of the billionaires. I think we can extrapolate that to also, we've now made sustainable finance. So like now our financial institutions of the world, not only are they sustainable on a community level because they're more inclusive at the community level, they're more sustainable from a green perspective, from a, from a climate change perspective. So I think like, I, I know we try to do open finance and brand it DeFi as open finance before DeFi completely won. But like, I think there's also room to attempt like sustainable finance. This is- Well, I've got it. Yeah? Green, green fi. No, no, sustainable finance. Okay. <laughs> sustainable finance. Not green fi? Come on. <laughs> green fi? No, no, I don't think don't so. Like it. Okay. I, I think I think sustainable finance is like a fantastic branding for DeFi for 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 two, the two reasons. Like it's more inclusive, it's more uh, ca- spreading out the capital, and it's also pointed. The capital itself is pointed itself at green systems, green institutions. And if we can get like all of DeFi kind of following in maker's footsteps and, and kind of get everything about DeFi to commit to some sort of like green backend, uh, I think that is an, a yet another paradigm shift. The underrated aspect of all of this is um, it's not necessarily altruistic or it's not yes. just altruistic, right? You know, he talked about, um, what did he call it? Green alpha? Mm-hmm. Is that the term? Right. Um Climate alpha, I think was the term we used on the podcast, Mm -hmm. but like, it's also a regulatory heat shield. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, are you really going to be the nation state that goes and shuts down Klimadow and Mm -hmm. die the clean money who's doing all of these things? Oh, are you trying to destroy the planet, Gary Gensler? (laughs) Right. And this is the... DeFi and I think crypto is starting to think a bit more like chess instead of checkers, right? Yeah. Like we're we're strategically thinking about mm-hmm. next moves. Na- and look, right. The nation state hasn't figured this out right. at all. And this is a protocol that is intra-nation state. So beyond the nation state. Maybe we can figure it out here and maybe we should let these experiments run and maybe you shouldn't shut them down because we're actually doing good for the world, right? The last thing maybe to talk about, at least in my mind, is um, this whole contrast uh, between like Bitcoin citadelism right. and like Ethereum solar punk cities, uh-huh. which I think is a, a really relevant yeah, contrast. I actually listened to your uh, Kevin Owaki Layer Zero Mm-hmm. about this. And um, he talked about the solar punk aesthetic, which I am also in love with. Mm-hmm. It's just so much more hopeful and right. optimistic about the future and provides more answers than society. I feel like so much of Bitcoin, like gold bugism mm-hmm. is just like, yeah, let's go back to th- how things were in the 1900s, right? you know, like early 1900s and 1800s and right. the world was perfect then. Well, no, it wasn't. And we have 21st century problems now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like, so what's our collaborate, uh, coordination layer to solve these 21st century problems? How are you going to fix the world instead of just like buying a Citadel with all your wealth, moving to New Zealand, and then like watching the rest of the world burn. 
that is such a contrast to me and why I will always be more attracted to Ethereum culture to the extent that they continue with its value set versus like just Bitcoin maximalist gold bugism. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, the the whole Citadel uh, is kind of just a flavor of uh, climate doomerism where Bitcoiners are like, well, this climate thing, not really going to work. But I mean, Bitcoin is going to be a bajillion dollars in the future. So I'll just build my little bubble where like all the climate oh, changes. You. Yeah, I'm out. yeah. <laughs> you, you, didn't, you forgot to buy Bitcoin? Well, that's too bad. Like, turns out you're outside of the Citadel. Um, like, yeah, it's like that very much that, that learned helplessness thing. And a while ago, and I'm glad you reminded me of this, is that um, uh, I tweeted out just a general picture of some solar punk landscape drawing. And the caption I added out. Uh, I Sh- added show out. it to me, too. I want to yeah? see. I'm like, okay. I'm a. I'm a sucker for this stuff. I love it. All right, hang on, let, let me get down on my main screen. Uh, okay. And I, I, I forgot that I actually wanted to more intentfully go after this strategy, um, but uh, I'm going to tweet this as soon as we're done here. Uh, okay, here we go. Sharing the screen, sharing the screen, sharing the screen. Uh, oh gosh, so many windows. Uh, is it this one? Is this one? Okay. Okay, so... Oh, that's not right. Oh, one it's sec. blank screen I'm seeing. One more time. You could also send me a link and then I could share it. No, if that's I, easier. I think I got it. Oh, gosh. Okay, hold on. Wait, is this still a blank screen? Yeah. Full on blank screen. Seriously? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Sorry, listeners. Oh, wait. Right. How about now? How about now? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This. So, so here, here's, here's a solar punk. And I said, the caption I said, here's the society that banks don't want you to have. And <laughs> it's just so like, good. it's just using banks as a scapegoat to say like the banks are between you and the solar punk world. And then, so I DM'd yeah. Kevin Awaki and, and with this tweet and I said like, here's, here's like the new narrative strategy is like anything that gets in the way of Ethereum is getting in the way of our solar punk future. And I, I, I I think that's true. true. I think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I think that's kind of like the new movement. It's like, Hey, Ethereum is our ticket towards solar punkness. Yeah. I, I, I think it's true and becoming increasingly so. And for the skeptics out there who doubt that with the advent of some of these projects, like Mm -hmm. Klima DAOs, maybe like clean money die, I think they'll start to see it too. So it'll become much more defensible as a narrative as well. Yeah. Um, Anyway, good stuff. Good episode with Rune. He's an OG. Anything more to say, David? Yeah, I think um, uh, today, so this is coming out on Monday. If you're listening to this on Monday, I think I'll be writing about um, sustainable finance as the uh, Monday opening note. I think I'm ready to commit to that. So That's check that nice, out as man. well. That's nice. Uh, you can include some solar punk photos. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Please do. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. This has been the Bankless Debrief. Thanks for tuning in.